You're listening to The Souvenir Shop, a podcast about random objects from the past. Number 41. A Doll's House. An extremely dog-eared and yellowing paperback of Henrik Ibsen's play A Doll's House survives in my bookcase, a relic from my student days. I'm quite proud of this copy, partly because it's a classic play, still regularly performed and discussed, and partly because I like any book that's been well used. Forget about that classic leather-bound copy of Moby Dick sitting on the living room shelf for decoration, and give me any day the careworn copy of Bleak House with page corners turned down, the occasional coffee stain, and notes scribbled in the margin. A doll's house centres on Nora Helmer, an outwardly contented wife and mother and her husband Torsvald, a newly promoted bank manager. By the play's end, Nora realises that her husband never really loved her, and their entire marriage is a sham. She leaves him. In 2023, this all looks like the plot of any daytime soap, but to a Norwegian audience at the 1879 premiere, the idea of a woman breaking up a marriage for no other reason than she no longer liked her husband was scandalous. Indeed, when a doll's house played in translation in Germany and Britain, the ending was changed to make Nora have last-minute doubts and stay with Torsvald. In a previous episode, I told the story of my grandfather, Alfred Diamond, who at 14 was living in a homeless hostel and ended his life as a visiting lecturer at Oxford University. But what of my grandmother? his wife, Celia. In her own way, Celia was just as remarkable as Alf, and her life symbolises a lot of how much women born at the beginning of the 20th century achieved, and how it was only subsequent generations of women that reaped the benefit. Grandpa died in April 1978. I attended his funeral, but couldn't hang around because I needed to sit a university exam the next day. He was such a dominant presence in his household that when, just before my 19th birthday, I went round to Grandma's that summer, I did so with trepidation. What would we talk about? How would I fill the long silences once we'd finished discussing family and the weather? I needn't have worried. What are you studying at the moment? she asked me while preparing lunch. I'm studying drama at Hull, I replied. Yes, I know that. What plays are you studying? I've just finished a term looking at modern European theatre. Ibsen, Chekhov, Strindberg, that kind of thing. Grandma's eyes lit up. Oh, I love Ibsen. When I was 15, I was given copies of Hedda Gubler and A Doll's House. Really? I said. A Doll's House was the play that made me interested in women's politics and the suffragettes. We spent the rest of the afternoon discussing whether Ibsen's Hedda Gubler is in fact a comedy, why the first act of John Gabriel Borkman is better than the second, and why vaguely mentioning syphilis in ghosts was so shocking. When we hear the word suffragette, we are likely to picture upper-class women in Edwardian garb throwing rocks at shop windows. We think of Emmeline Pankhurst and eccentric campaigners like Mrs Banks in Mary Poppins. 
What we didn't learn about at school were the thousands of unknown working-class women who campaigned peacefully and tirelessly. Women with often far more to lose who, without the protection of their class, faced far more brutality and persecution than the headline-grabbing window smashers. But beyond their heroic call for the vote to be extended, Emmeline and her daughter Christabel were never political radicals, going as far as suspending any civil disobedience once Britain entered the Great War. The real epicentre of the suffrage movement was in the East End, centering around Bethnal Green and Bow. It was here that Sylvia Pankhurst established the East London Federation of Suffragettes, which, unlike her mother's organisation, saw the right to vote as but one part of women's emancipation. Instead of minor terrorist acts, Sylvia organised strikes, demonstrations, petitions and public meetings. Controversially, her organisation also allowed supportive men to join, citing the suppression of women as just as much a class issue as one of gender. My grandma was born Celia Genzuk in Glasgow in December 1900. By the time she was 11, the family lived in a cold water flat off Commercial Road in the East End. She won a scholarship to the local grammar school, but this being 1912, it wasn't considered necessary for working class girls to pursue education. So she left her secondary school at 14 to follow her parents into cigarette making. In 1918, there was a rally and demonstration by the East London Federation of Suffragettes in Victoria Park in Hackney. By this time, the wartime government was dealing with any dissent at home swiftly and brutally. It was at Victoria Park that four policemen grabbed my 17-year-old, five-foot-two grandma and threw her into the boating lake. It was also around this time that several cigarette manufacturers blacklisted her for her trade union activities. I had no idea about any of this until long after her death in 1991. The grandma I knew was a sweet, apple-cheeked old lady who was congenitally incapable of not offering anyone almond cake as soon as they came through the door. Even though she employed a regular cleaner, Grandma would spend a huge part of her day dusting, sweeping and tidying. She was the only person I ever knew who regularly scrubbed the front doorstep. But the way Grandma's eyes lit up when I mentioned Ibsen showed a side to her I'd never seen, and probably few ever saw during the 54 years she was married to my grandpa. It was also a window into a life that might have been, and no doubt should have been, I've already talked about Grandpa's remarkable life journey, but hardly mentioned anything about what he was like as a person. In reality, he tended towards the pompous and self-important. He clearly adored his grandchildren, but amongst grown-ups, I have strong memories of him not appreciating anyone disagreeing with him, especially my mother, who I later learned was rather looked down upon by her in-law's family. In relation to my grandma, I have no memory of grandpa ever tidying up, ever hoovering, or even making himself a cup of tea. It didn't seem unusual at the time, because men of grandpa's generation 
never did anything much for themselves if they had a spouse to do their heavy lifting. But what of Grandma? What of the life, politics, feminism and all the possibilities and outcomes not realised for a woman fired by a Norwegian playwright in her teens? I wouldn't begin to criticise her for letting all this go because a respectable working-class woman was expected to get married if she wanted to achieve any prosperity or security or, yes, status. After that visit to Grandma's, it occurred to me that maybe I was wrong. Maybe, as I had only just reached adulthood, she was engaging in her first grown-up conversation with me. So I compared notes with my parents. No, said Mum, it's all to do with Grandpa no longer being around to monopolise the conversation. She knew how I felt about feminism, but we never really discussed it. What was the point? Even after taking into account Mum's negative feelings about Grandpa, it made sense. When Grandma read her copy of A Doll's House, it would be at least another decade before she could vote another half a century before she could apply for a mortgage or a bank account without a man's approval, and another 70 years before employers were legally bound to pay women the same as men. It's thanks to grandma's and my mother's generation of women fighters that they now have these rights, which can only be a good thing. But there's still a long way to go, both economically and culturally. So I hope that somewhere, another 15-year-old girl has just been given a copy of Ibsen's A Doll's House, and that it lights a fire in her, the same way as with Grandma over a century ago. But I also hope that unlike with Grandma, it's never snuffed out. That was A Doll's House, written and read by Matthew Diamond. If you enjoyed this, then please like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll see you next time.